all of us have felt that feeling of, I said I was going to exercise. Why didn't I? I knew what to do. I wanted to do it, and yet I didn't do it. Many times we know what to do. The question is, why don't we do it? Plug into the minds of the world's cutting-edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to Superhumans at Work. My name is Jason Campbell, and the guest we have today, Nira Yal, is really going to teach you how to regain your freedom by becoming indistractable. In an age where devices seems to be everywhere, everyone seems to be glued to their phone, how do you find yourself to be liberated from these technology companies that know exactly how to motivate you to keep using their apps more and more and more, so to a point that you lose control of your own impulses? Well, you're going to learn several tricks on how to get back control by managing these internal triggers that often get in the way. You're going to learn about how to really play with the settings of these external triggers that these apps have so you can take back control and learn a few more amazing techniques that'll take you from being very distracted to being back on traction getting the things you want done on your time, your priority, and really using Nier's tools that he discusses in his book are going to be laid down right here in the podcast. So enjoy. This is going to be a powerful one. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. Hi there, everybody. Jason Campbell here with my guest, Nir Eyal. Nir, your book is being shout out about, raved about. I'm seeing it everywhere because it's becoming a raving success. So I just want to first kick off by saying congratulations on your new book. Thanks, Jason. I really appreciate it. Well, many thanks to Mindvalley to helping me spread the message. And you specifically, not only did you take interest in this book, you were interested in my very first book as well, which I really appreciate. So you've been a longtime fan. I have been a longtime fan. And the fact is that I think this is a great way to get started because when I first got to know you, Nir, you had written about a book which was all about designing your services, products, applications to be the most addictive possible. And it became kind of this cornerstone book on every software, Silicon Valley startup about how to get users, how to get more people's attentions. And now you went on this journey and written the follow-up book, which is all about like being indistractable. And I wanted to kick off with just your journey as to how did you go from being the guy around hooked to being now the facto book around finding back your freedom and being indistractable. Yeah, well, who better to lead you on that journey than someone who understands how these products work from the inside? You know, I'm not some professor that says, oh, don't have a social media account because I never had one. I think that's a little ridiculous. I think people realize that these products are wonderful. They can actually be great. Look at all the services that these companies give us, including all of the services outside of these big companies. I mean, Mind Valley is a great example of that. How much great content do you deliver through social media for free through all of these fabulous technologies? So Hooked was about building good habits in our lives, right? I didn't write hooked for the social media companies. They already know these techniques. I stole their tactics so that everyone else can build products around using these same exact techniques. Companies that help people form healthy habits around meditation or exercise or education. So many opportunities to use these same exact tactics. Why should it only be the social media companies that use these techniques? All of us in our businesses should use these tactics to help people form good habits. Now, indistractable is about how do we break bad habits? 
And so I have this very unique vantage point of understanding distractions Achilles heel because I'm an industry insider. If you think that Facebook is controlling your life or technology or email, whatever it might be, is too distracting, I'm going to tell you exactly how to use technology in a way that benefits you as opposed to making you feel like you're its slave. And this is powerful because I found myself going a bit too much on social media or being too much on the workplace, like too much connected. And I think there's a lot of people who feel that overwhelm of technology at some point, a little stronger than others. And I've done this thing where I went like, I'm out, I'm getting rid of my phone, I'm turning all my alarms, and you kind of go in this knee jerk reaction the other way. And I think you've probably done some tests like this as well, but it wasn't necessarily the most effective, right? This is called cutting off your nose to spite your face. (laughs) And I think a lot of people do that. We think that the problem is the distraction. And what I learned over the past five years is that the tool of distraction always masks a deeper reason why we get distracted. And so when you look at the history of distraction, this is not a new problem. Plato was talking about this 2,500 years ago. He called it akrasia, the tendency that we all have to do things against our better interests. And so Plato asked this question 2,500 years before the iPhone, why don't we do what we say we're going to do? Why do we lie to ourselves? We wouldn't lie to other people. We would never want to be called a liar. And yet we say we're going to exercise but we don't. We say we're going to meditate. We don't. We say we're going to be fully present with the people we love. We aren't. We say we're going to work hard on that project and finally stop procrastinating, but we don't. Why? (laughs) I got news for you. If you can't sit down with your kid over dinner like I couldn't without checking my phone, the problem isn't the phone. There's something else going on that we've got to deal with individually and as a society to make sure that we do what we say we're going to do. The good news is that I spent the past five years to teach you exactly how to do it. What I discovered is it's actually not that hard. That once we recognize the real source of distraction, we really don't have any more excuses. Because there's a lot of people out there, I call them the blamers and the shamers. The blamers, these people say, ah, it's the technology that's doing it to me. It's Facebook, it's the iPhone, that's what's doing it to me, right? Those are the blamers. Then you got the shamers, and this is what I used to do. The shamers say, maybe there's something wrong with me. I'm lazy. I can't focus. I have a short attention span. You know, there's something wrong with me. And they shame themselves into thinking that there's something wrong with them. That's often not the case either. The right way to be is not to be a blamer or a shamer because those techniques can actually backfire. Being a blamer makes you do nothing about the problem. Being a shamer makes you feel so bad that you look for distraction to stop making you feel so bad. The right way to be is to be a claimer. A claimer claims responsibility and says, look, Is it my fault that these things exist? No, you didn't invent Facebook, you didn't invent YouTube, you didn't invent the internet, it's not your fault, but guess what? It's your responsibility because it's not going away. And so the idea here is how can we get the best out of technology without letting it get the best of us by simply claiming responsibility and knowing these tactics to make sure that we can put technology and distraction in its place. Wow. That's some very profound stuff here. And I think most people might not have realized that there is that responsibility that needs to be claimed because I've seen myself blame. I've seen myself shame. And that's probably when I do that big 180 is when I feel shameful about these. I'm like, no, I got to get rid of all these things. And that's just not the most powerful thing to do. Don't feel bad about that. I went through the same exact journey. I think all of us do, because let's face it, this stuff is brand new. These tech companies are teenagers, right? They're only a few years old. So we're still figuring out. It's kind of like the metaphor I like to use is these tech companies are all teenagers. Facebook was started in 2006. So what is it? 13 years old. They're not very old. And so just like a teenager, you remember the first time you raided your parents' liquor cabinet and you drank too much 
And then you woke up the next morning with a hangover and you said, oh, I'm never going to drink again. That was horrible. Did you actually never drink again? No, you grew up. You learned how to hold your liquor, use it responsibly. Alcohol and other intoxicants can be a lot of fun. There's nothing wrong with them if we use them correctly. Now, do some people get addicted? Of course, some people become alcoholics. But that doesn't mean everyone gets addicted to alcohol, clearly. And it's the same thing with social media. What's happening individually as well as on a societal level is that we have this backlash because we want to blame something. We use technology in a way that has some negative consequences, clearly. And so we're telling ourselves, ah, we never want to drink again. We should ban these companies. We should regulate them. And so what I would argue, yeah, there probably is some room for regulation, but do you really want to wait? Do we really want to hold our breath waiting for these companies to change? If you hold your breath, you're going to suffocate. So why not do something right now about this problem of distraction, which, by the way, is much bigger than technology? People can get distracted to all sorts of things. People who work too much because they want to avoid going home. People who stay home because work is driving them crazy. People who avoid life by watching too much television, reading too much news, as opposed to doing something in their community. All of these things are potential distractions. What exactly is this impact of the distraction that's happening today? Like, have we ever seen any study that's giving us kind of an idea of what impact is happening for an individual's career progression or a company's productivity? Yeah, so there is a lot of evidence. We don't know on a societal level, but there is a lot of studies that show us that the impact of getting distracted greatly affects our ability to work, our ability to enjoy our life, to be fully present. There's been studies that shows that it takes about 20 minutes to get back on task after you've been interrupted. And so that's a big problem, right? Obviously, if you're trying to do something at work that requires focus and concentration and you get a tap on the shoulder or a ping or ding on your phone, now it takes you 20 minutes to get back to that task. But I think all of us have felt that feeling of, wait a minute, I said I was going to meditate. Why didn't I? I said I was going to exercise. Why didn't I? I knew what to do. I wanted to do it, and yet I didn't do it. We think that the problem is I just don't know what to do. Maybe I'll read a book and he'll tell me the secret answer or I'll listen to a guru's talk and he'll tell me what to do. Many times we know what to do. The question is, why don't we do it? What I loved about your book particularly is you give some really specific, cool examples of how people can apply some of your ways to manage this world of distraction that goes beyond the technology. And since people listening to these are in the workplace, we want to talk about some of those specific strategies in the workplace. So, okay, I want to reclaim my freedom here. I want to be more in control of doing what I say I'm going to do, and I want to be more productive in the workplace. Where do I start? What can I do? First thing is to define what is traction and what is distraction for you in your life. So you can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. So the opposite of distraction is not focus. The opposite of distraction is traction. Both words come from the same Latin root, trahare, which means to pull, and they both end in the same six letters, A-C-T-I-O-N, that spells action. So traction is any action that pulls you towards what you want to do, things that you do with intent. The opposite of traction is distraction, anything that is not what you plan to do with intent. So this is really important for two reasons. Number one, anything can be distraction. So if you sit down at your desk and say, now I'm gonna do that big project, now I'm gonna do that thing I've been procrastinating, and now I'm finally gonna get to work, right after I check email, that is a distraction. Email feels worky, doesn't it? Doesn't it feel like that's something you're supposed to be doing? That's kind of a work-related task. You gotta do that anyway. No, if you plan to do one thing, but then checked email instead, well, now that email is a distraction, even if it's something you had to do for work anyway. Why? 
Because if you don't decide in advance what you want to do with your time, you are prioritizing the urgent at the expense of the important. And so you're constantly reacting, reacting, reacting. Emails, pings, dings, meetings, rings, all of these things are making you react as opposed to giving yourself time to reflect. And we know we cannot do our best work unless we have time to reflect and truly concentrate on what we are doing. So anything can be a distraction. The most pernicious forms of distractions are not YouTube and Facebook and that kind of stuff. The most pernicious distractions are the ones that we don't even understand distract us, like checking email when you said you'd work on a big project. So anything can be a distraction. And similarly, anything can be traction. Okay, Nir, I'm very guilty of this. Like I've seen myself do that. And this whole email checking, it's an endless task because there's always more emails that come in. But is there like a way that emails can be a sense of traction? What do you differentiate it with when I do it and it's distraction versus traction? Great question. And the difference is intent. So instead of checking email when you feel bad, when you feel anxious, uncertain, stressed, lonely, the source of every distraction is these uncomfortable emotional states that we seek to escape from. So as opposed to using it as emotional pacification, what you want to do is to use it on your schedule and on your terms. So you can actually turn a distraction into traction by planning time for it. So as opposed to constantly checking your email whenever you feel bad or don't know what to do with your hands, use it on a schedule. So we wanna make time in our day to check email because then we are turning something that would otherwise be a distraction into an act of traction by planning time for it, by making time for it in our day. And so this is a technique called time boxing to plan that time. And this, I think, is a very important part of your book where you talk about how you have to be conscious, like put intention in your scheduling and your calendar. And I know a big objection that I've heard some people say is like, yeah, but I want to be like flexible. I don't want to schedule my life away where I don't have any freedom. And I love how you actually address that. I think that a lack of constraints drives us crazy. If you don't struggle with distraction, this is the wrong episode for you. If you get done everything you want to do every day and that loosey-goosey style is working for you, hey, awesome, great. When I retire, I plan to have lots and lots of open time in my day and I'll just let whatever happens, happens. But if you got stuff to do and you're finding that you're not doing what you want to do with your time, that other people somehow are able to change what you do in your day. If you find yourself getting off track because of all the pings and dings, not only from our devices, from your boss, from your kids, from your spouse, from whatever happened in the news today, if those things take you off track, well, then we need to ask ourselves why. And so counterintuitively, if we want to get more done, if we want to accomplish what we plan to accomplish, to live the kind of life we want to live according to our values, we need to add constraints. And the best example of this, ask any writer what it's like to look at a blank page. That's the hardest time to write. Ask any artist how difficult it is to look at a blank canvas. That's the hardest part. That unlimited constraints is actually very difficult for us. It's too much cognitive load to figure out what to do next. And by the way, I'm not saying we have to plan work all day. If what's important to you is to meditate, make time to meditate. If what's important to you is to spend quality time with your kids, make time to spend time with your kids, to exercise, to do whatever it is, time with friends, any of that stuff, we can plan time for that. What we don't want to do by not planning for it, is to fill our time with frivolity. We say, oh, I'll hang out sometime. Sure, that we'll make that. Let's get coffee sometime. Sure, yeah, okay, let's see it actually happen. Or we'll say, oh yeah, we'll write that novel someday, or we'll work on that big project, or we'll do whatever we wanna do. But of course, if we don't plan time for it, we just fill that time, not with these great aspirations, we fill it with nonsense. 
And when you say this, one of the memories that comes up is I think it was like eight or 10 years ago, I wrote a blog post on why I don't do goal setting. And it was literally because I was in a space where I was actually enjoying the floating of it and just not actually feeling motivated to maximize the impact. And when that shifted towards like, hey, I want to make the biggest impact I can deliver as much value I can with an organization. I started realizing that, hey, me being lazy about goal setting is actually making me super less productive. And it became clear that I needed to set it in the same way that I was one of these people that was like, I don't need to schedule things. I'm actually fine. But the matter of fact is that my productivity levels go so much higher when I do it. And of course, something new to introduce into my life came with some resistance initially. But as I started doing it more, now I like I start my Mondays and that's the task of the Monday is to schedule the week out. And then I find myself having a lot more freedom, which is what I thought the scheduling was going to take away. I would have these days when I have a big open free day and I'd say, oh, I could get so much done today. And then when I wouldn't schedule it, you get the least done in the days that you have nothing to do. Maybe, you know, a hundred years ago when we didn't have all of these potential distractions around us, we didn't have any choice but to do productive tasks perhaps. But this day and age, we know what we default to. We check Facebook, we check Instagram, we putz around. Unless we have some kind of structure for our day, we tend to lead to frivolity and distraction as opposed to doing what we really want to do. So here's the thing. You can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. So by simply planning, here's what I want to do, everything else is a distraction. By the way, if what you want to do is nothing, that's cool. If what you want to do is take a walk, that's wonderful. But plan to take that walk. Don't plan to take a walk and check your phone at the same time. Do what it is you plan to do as opposed to in the minute, letting your impulses direct you towards a bad feeling. Which I actually want to jump right into because, you know, my cognitive brain, my super higher self is going, yes, this makes sense. I can do this. But in the moment of those emotions, it's not as easy as how we're talking about it. When I have that impulse to check the Facebook or to go on Instagram, I have a sense of I'm lonely. I want to connect with something. And in that moment, I feel like I come back to being this reptile who's just like a victim of my own state of emotions. And I know you give a really powerful technique here. You're relying on willpower in the moment, and willpower doesn't work. I'm not a fan of willpower. I'm not a fan of self-control. It tends to give out in the moment. Because look, if you leave it up to the last minute, if the chocolate cake is on the fork, you're going to eat it. If the cigarette is lit, you're going to smoke it. If you sleep next to your smartphone, it's going to be the first thing you pick up in the morning. Willpower will fail you. Of course it will fail you. So don't rely on willpower. Rely on a system. Rely on a technique. And so here's the thing. These problems of distraction are an impulse control problem. That's what they really are. It's about impulse. It's about feelings that we seek to escape impulsively. So the idea here is to change how we respond to those uncomfortable feelings, loneliness, uncertainty, fatigue, anxiety, in a way that leads us towards traction rather than distraction. So if there's one thing I want everyone to remember, the biggest, most important takeaway of my book is that the antidote for impulsiveness is forethought. There is no temptation that we can't overcome as long as we plan ahead, as long as we have practices in place that can ensure that we don't do something that we will later regret. And so in the moment that decision needs to be done, what's this technique I can use that just will keep me away? Yeah, I'll give you a really quick one that I use almost every day. And this is about reimagining our triggers? How can we see them differently? And so one thing you can do that I describe in the book, there's hundreds of different tactics I describe, but one of them that I use every day 
is when you feel that uncomfortable emotional state, that internal trigger, the boredom, the fatigue, the stress, recognize that that is what is actually causing you to want to get distracted. You can't control how you feel. You can control your reaction to those feelings. And so what we want to do, as opposed to impulsively checking our devices, as opposed to letting ourselves impulsively get distracted, we want to catch ourselves and deal with those uncomfortable emotional states in a healthier manner. So here's what you do. One technique I use is called the 10-minute rule. Now, I didn't invent this technique. It's been around for decades. It comes from acceptance and commitment therapy. And here's how it works. You give yourself just 10 minutes to do what's called surfing the urge, to feel that sensation with curiosity rather than contempt. So when you're about to give into that temptation, whether it's, oh, I'm going to eat that piece of chocolate cake I know I don't want to have, or I'm going to just Google something real quick as opposed to working on that big project, what you want to tell yourself is that you can give into that temptation, anything it is that's tempting you, in 10 minutes, in just 10 minutes. And what I want you to do for those 10 minutes is to just feel what it is that you are experiencing. Now, do that with curiosity. Don't do it with contempt. Don't beat yourself up like we talked about the blamers and the shamers. Don't do that. Instead, just feel present with that sensation. You can close your eyes. Sometimes I'll just set a timer for 10 minutes on my phone. And my job is to just feel that sensation or get back to the task at hand, get back to whatever it is I defined as traction. Now, what you will find in those 10 minutes, nine times out of 10, that sensation, that uncomfortable feeling crests and then subsides. That's how emotions work. They feel like they're going to stick around forever, but they never do. They're like a wave. So what you want to do is to surf that urge like a surfer on a surfboard let it subside, and you'll find you'll be able to get back to that task at hand. That was such a powerful moment in the book when I realized that. And I think it's just a technique anybody can use, especially if you're in a workplace and you're finding yourself wanting to be distracted into a bunch of different things. Just using that 10 minutes could be what saves you from going a 40-minute drive into some thing that might not be the most important one thing you should be focused on. And Nir, as we're coming towards the tail end of this discussion, I wanted to get into some really fun tactics, like things that people can apply directly in the workplace. There's so much more insights that come into the book, but I think it'd be super fun to talk about some of the Typical pet peeves within the office, and I'd love to kick off with my own. See, right now, people can't see me, but I'm wearing headphones, and I know that when I'm in the workspace and I'm typing on a computer, we have the unwritten rule in the office that says if you have your headphones on, that means somebody's in deep work and you shouldn't be distracting them. And then obviously you have that one person who just comes, taps you on the shoulder and says, do you have a minute? And you know it's a trap. It's never a minute. Uh, it's never a minute. And so what are some things we can do to deal with these things? This is called an external trigger. So we talked about those internal triggers. Ping or ding on your phone or a colleague coming by your desk and tapping on the shoulder. Those are all examples of external triggers. So this technique of using headphones, that can work sometimes. It's pretty good at blocking out noises in the office. The problem is people don't know what it really means. Oftentimes people take that to mean, oh, you're just watching YouTube videos. So it's not so productive because we don't know what's going on in people's heads. So what I advise and what we've tested here is to be very effective is to use what's called a screen sign. A screen sign is something you put on your computer monitor. Actually, every copy of Indistractable comes with this inside the book. You fold it into thirds, you put it on your computer screen. It's bright red and it says, I'm indistractable. Please come back later. So you're sending an explicit message. Don't bother me right now. Because again, headphones don't send that message. So if you like headphones, great, keep using them. But if you have people who don't recognize that that's the office norm, or you want to be explicit of, no, 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 I'm not watching YouTube videos. I'm actually doing work right now and I need to focus. 
use this screen sign. And of course, if they come by and they tap you on the shoulder, you point to it. You don't have to get out of your flow so that they know that there's an explicit request to leave you alone. And I think that's such a fun one. And for those of you who are going to be picking up or already have a copy of Nier's book, this is the only sad part if you're picking up the audiobook is you don't get this cut out. Oh, but you can download it. Can you? Yes. If you go to my website, indistractable.com, you put in your audiobook order number or the ebook order number, and I will give you a printout that you can print for yourself. Brilliant. And so this is one of the many powerful techniques that are super fun to go through. And when it comes to those pings and dings, like a lot of people don't know that there's a lot of settings you can play with your digital device. What are some of the best tips you can give to people when it comes to managing those? You know, I cover it a little bit in my book. I only take a couple pages to talk about how you can make your cell phone indistractable, how you can make your computer desktop indistractable. There's some very easy techniques around what to do there. But I think that there's also this aspect of using technology to fight technology distraction that a lot of people don't know about. You know, you can customize all kinds of experiences to help them serve you as opposed to you serving them. For example, when I check Facebook, I love Facebook, but I have time in my day to check Facebook. I'm not checking it all day long. And I use the Facebook Newsfeed Eradicator app. It's totally free. It scrubs out the newsfeed, so I don't have to see that junk. I don't need all that stuff. When I check YouTube, I love watching YouTube videos. There's so much great content on YouTube, but I don't want to see all of those external triggers, all those videos that are trying to distract me, the ads. You can use a Chrome extension called YouTube DF that helps you scrub all that out. There's all these things that we can do to hack back technology. There's this great app I use all the time called Forest. Now, here's how Forest works. Whenever you want to do focused work, you type in, you dial in how much time you want to do focused work for or if it's spending time with your kids or whatever you want to do without distraction for a set period of time, you dial that in. When you push go, a little virtual tree is planted. Now, if you pick up your phone and you do anything with it, the little virtual tree dies. So it's enough of a reminder to tell you, oh, okay, nope, that's not what I want to do right now. I want to focus. I don't want to check my phone. It's this contract that you can make with yourself using these free technologies that can help keep you on track. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot more we can do. Amazing. I've picked up on a lot of these things from reading your book. One of them I haven't implemented yet is that forest tool, which I think is the next one I want to pick up because I just want to make those little trees grow. (laughs) It's true. And you know, kids love this stuff too. And if you're a parent and I have an 11 year old, and if you're struggling to help them focus and do their homework, it works like a charm. You know, we can use technology to improve the bad aspects of technology. Love it. Nir, thank you so much for coming here and sharing some of these ideas. I have to be quite honest, we're limited in time here. There's so many more insights that are in his book. And so for anybody who wants to pick up a copy, go and look it out, whether it's an ebook, physical copy. And Nir, what are other ways people can find you? Absolutely, Jason. Thanks. Yeah. So Nir and Far, Nir is spelled like my first name. That's my website, N-I-R and far.com. And if you go to indistractable.com, that's where you can get this complimentary 80-page workbook that you can get with or without the book. But if you do get the book, that's where you get all these other resources like the screen sign. There's a whole list of over 50 different tools and resources that you can use. That's all at indistractable.com. Love it. Nir, thank you so much. And for everybody listening, you just got a ton of insights on how to reclaim that freedom. And I love this aspect, particularly about the fact that you do not shame, you do not blame, you claim responsibility, you claim your freedom back, and you become an indistractable person that is so much more productive and making a bigger impact in the world. Nir, thanks for your time. Everybody, thanks for listening in. Thanks for tuning in to the episode with Nir Ayal. I hope you really enjoyed these systems that he shared. Such powerful tools. 
have been shared so that you can get that freedom again. And if you felt inspired by this episode, you know maybe friends that need to hear this as well, please go ahead and share this as we bring you this episode absolutely commercial free. And so if you've enjoyed this, rate the episode, let us know your feedback, let us know what tools you particularly loved, and we'll be sure to bring you more insights that are similar and on the same track to keep you to be more indistractable, have better habits, and really crank up that productivity. So thanks for tuning in. I'm Jason Campbell. And until next time, stay awesome. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.